studies are, they're saying that we are now, um, the, the researchers have said, we have been labeled the most stress-filled generation to ever live. Doesn't that make you feel super encouraged today? In light of the week we just lived as a nation again, right? How many more of the mass shooting heartbreaks do we have to see scroll across our news feeds and we think of all that happened in California combined with the fires? You've got the national scale, let alone the global scale, and then the pressures of everyday life have led to the point where doctors say that 70% of the people that arrive in their offices today The diagnosis for what's wrong with their body, they say 70% of the time, it's stress-related. They say 50% of college students today, 50% of them filled out a survey and said that they are enduring so much stress and anxiety around their college years that it's affecting in an unhealthy way their ability to do basic everyday life functions. 50% of college students not about what your experience was like in college, but I look back on college. Those were like, that was the best four years of my life. And to think now we've gotten to the point where half of the students are saying they barely are able to make it through because of the anxiety that's covering them up. In the working world, the latest stats are 40% in the workplace say, quote, I'm living with unhealthy levels of stress specifically related to my work. And maybe right now your stress level is just rising about this, just inside. So is there hope for things to be any different? What's Jesus doing about all this? Maybe some of you have gone through a week, a month, a year, where you continue to bring your strain, you bring your stress, you bring your anxiety, you bring your weariness and say, God, is there another way to live? Where are you in the midst of this mess? That's where we find the disciples in John chapter 6. So what we're going to look at today are I want you to think of it as three points to Jesus' stress reduction plan. And no shocker to you guys know that Jesus probably got a few different thoughts than maybe what shows up at the self-help section at Barnes & Noble. So let's see. John chapter 6, verse 16. Here's what it says. When evening came. Now, a little context. Remember, Dan, a couple weeks ago, reminded us in the early part of John 6, right? It was a really busy day in the life of Jesus. He'd been healing people. He'd been feeding the 5,000. He'd been in ministry mode. It had been a long day, a lot of hours. Evening had come, and he'd withdrawn to the mountainside, kind of get a little respite, kind of a recharge, replenish, some silence, some solitude in his own rhythm. But look where he sent the disciples. And by the way, they're on the east side of Galilee. His disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off, set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. Verse 18, a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. So geographically, here's what's going on. Take a look at this map. I put it in your notes there as well. So they're on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and then they're, going to, they're in a boat, and they would have been rowing through the waters, and they're going to go. The Sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide and about 12 miles long. So they've got about a seven-mile row ahead of them. 
And they start out in evening, and they're heading west and a little bit north there to Capernaum, which was a hub area for Jesus and his life and his ministry. That was one of my favorite spots to visit when I was in Israel in June of 2017, when I got to go to Capernaum, and I went to Peter's mother's house, and they think Jesus spent a lot of time there, and they've excavated a lot of remains there. And to stand there and to reflect upon all of the ministry that occurred right there at Capernaum. The interesting thing about Capernaum, too, is there's a nice little little cove like and it's a tiered cove so when you read in the scriptures that Jesus would go out into the water in a boat and he would teach the people from the boat onto the shore you can picture the scene right there it's like a little amphitheater along the water in Capernaum it was perfectly designed for exactly what the Bible says Jesus used it for and in this case Here's kind of our first insight about Jesus's plan for reducing stress. It may not be super encouraging out of the gates is to see that Jesus is the one who's leading us into storms. Like Jesus's plan is not exemption from the storms. It's not exemption from the strain and stress. As we'll see, Jesus is saying, I'm going to provide companionship with you in the stress and in the anxiety. He's not as much interested in sending the disciples on an easy cruise across smooth water. Instead, it's dark, it's windy, it's rough, it's stormy. Where the Sea of Galilee sits, it's kind of in a valley area, and they say the storms would brew up there regularly, and the white caps would come on the waters, and the disciples are there, and they're doing what God wants them to do. Maybe some of you find yourself right. Hey, you're doing what God wants you to do. You're living the life he wants you to live. And you find yourself in the middle of wind whipping, waves crashing, arms aching from rowing against the tide this way. You say, what is going on? You get in the middle of circumstance, and these guys for, were for sure, we're going to find out in a minute, they're probably close to giving up in the midst of how hard they're going to have to row against this. They say, where's Jesus in all this? What's going on in all this? And we'll see God comes to us in the midst of the storm. Remember what Sunder talked about last week? Wasn't it great having Sunder here for the weekend last week? I hope you were as blessed as I was to have him around and to hear the ripple effect of his ministry and his specifically his message last Sunday. Do you remember the phrase from last Sunday from Daniel 3? But if not. Remember that from Daniel 3? For those of you who missed it, let me encourage you to go online, listen through last Sunday's message. But if not, and he referenced Isaiah 43. Do you remember the passage in Isaiah 43? Here's a picture. I want you to look at three times this phrase is used, Isaiah 43. It's up here on the screen for you. When you pass through the waters, the Lord says, I will be with you. So you see, when and I'll be with you. There's companionship in it. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, right? In your Bibles, if you've got it there, say, you want to, you want to underline, look, it's not if you, it's when you. A good portion of your everyday life is going to be spent in the middle of a storm. When the waters are rising and the wind is, is, is churning and the waves are crashing in, a good portion of our life is spent lived right there. And then what does he promise? He's, he's not promising like to always calm the waters. He does that periodically. We're grateful when he does that. Other times he did calm the storm for them. But in this instance, he's not calming the storm. He's addressing them. I will be with you. I'm providing companionship in it. 
I've recently been reading through a book by Jerry Sitzer. I put his name and quote in your notes there. The book is called A Grace Disguised. I commend it to you for those of you going through a journey of grief and loss in your own life. Maybe you've recently lost a loved one. Uh, Maybe you're in the midst of saying goodbye to a loved one. Maybe you've had a really difficult ending on a marriage, home, family, front, whatever it is, in some season of grief and loss, Jerry Sitzer in 1991, he's a professor at Whitworth College out in Washington. In 1991, he loaded up his family in a minivan, including his mother was in that minivan. It was kind of an extended family gathering, and they were driving along. A drunk driver crossed the center line, struck their vehicle, and in one instance, Jerry lost his wife, his mother, and his youngest daughter in one accident. And over the next several years, he spent a lot of time journaling, and his friends started to get their hands on some of his journal entries, and his friends basically begged him to compile his reflections going through the difficulty of this grief and loss. And you never get over it. You just learn to endure it and find companionship with Christ in it. So basically, the book, A Grace Disguised, is a compilation of his personal reflections in the midst of losing the staggering amount of loss that he had. So here's one of the paragraphs that stood out to me that he said. He said, I put it in your notes, the soul is elastic like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering. Loss can enlarge its capacity for anger, depression, despair, and anguish. All natural and legitimate emotions when we experience loss. Hear this now. Once enlarged, the soul is also capable of experiencing greater joy, strength, peace, and love. What we consider opposites, east and west, night and light, sorrow and joy, weakness and strength, anger and love, despair and hope, death and life, are no more mutually exclusive than winter and sunlight. The soul has the capacity to experience these opposites even at the same time. Do you follow what he's saying there? So he said, this is what your soul's like, okay? Your soul's like this balloon here. When you're first born, your soul is deflated, lifeless. Looks like it needs some help. This is how your soul comes, comes to when, you, when you're born into this world. And now what Jerry's bringing up is there's a role where God says he's really concerned with our souls expanding. Like God's agenda for our lives is to see us become large-souled men and women. That's top priority with God. So what he does is he'll, he'll work circumstances. He'll lead us out into a storm. He'll lead us into an environment when the waves are crashing and the wind is churning up and it's dark and it's difficult and you can't figure out how you're going to get through what you're going through and why, where is God and all that and what is he doing? Here's what he's doing. Here's what Jerry's saying. The chaos. The uncertainty, the heartbreak and heartache, all the where are you, Lord? Here's what you need to think about. This is what the hardships of life bring to the interior world if we'll find companionship with Jesus in them. This is the net result. Now, notice from his quote, right? 
Sometimes what happens in the expanded soul is it gets filled with anger and resentment and bitterness. And there's a journey through all those emotions, right? This is really difficult when you go through some of the darkest places in life. But if you can stay with Jesus in it, if you stay in the storm and you don't resist his work, here's the net result. You can have an expanded capacity to experience everyday life with God right here. Think about in your life, are not some of the people who have the, how do you you put it, that nearness and companionship, that intimacy with the Lord, aren't some of those people the people who've endured some of the deepest and darkest places of this life? Aren't those some people that you want to be around when you hit that place? There's certain people that I go to to pray with in those kinds of moments, and you know what's a common denominator with them? Large-souled men and women. And their soul has been expanded through the wind, the waves, the storm, the chaos, the uncertainty, the suffering, the heartache, the where are you, Lord? How am I going to get through this? All of that. So Jesus' plan for the stressed and anxious, and maybe we can add weary, his plan, the first element of his plan might be a bit surprising to us, is that a top agenda for us, for him, isn't to necessarily extract us from the strain, but to do a work in the middle of those storms, okay? All right, so the second part of this now, let's look and see what happens. Verse 19 When they had rode three or three and a half miles. Now, for some of you right now, that's where you're at in the story. We're all going to find ourselves somewhere in the story. For some of you, that's where you're at. Anybody gone to the gym lately and tried to row three or three and a half miles? Huh? Your trainer assigns you that? That's a really fun time, right? Three, three and a half miles, and now you've got to go against wind and against waves. Can you feel the ache? Can you feel the burn? Huh? Can you see the strain? And some of you, that's where you're at. You're just grinding through each day. Like every morning you get up and it's hour by hour by hour to get to the next hour. You're right there with the disciples. Three or three and a half miles. And look what they see. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were terrified. A good translation for the word terrified there is freaking out. Well, what would you have been doing? I, I don't know what the last time you're hanging out on a lake and you look across the lake and someone's walking on the water towards your boat. And it's night and it's probably looking a little bit more like silhouette. I mean, you'd be terrified too. So here's our second part, right? Jesus' plan is, do you see now that Jesus walks toward us in our time of need? Do you see this? For some of you, I think this is why the Lord brought you this morning, just to simply hear this. Jesus sees your circumstances. He's fully aware of your storm. He hears your cry for help. He sees the anguish on the inside and the wrestling match. He sees, he hears, he knows, and he's walking on water to get to you. That's his plan. Here's the real struggle, though, right? If we're really honest, though, When we're in the middle of a storm, it's really hard to hear his voice and to see how he's coming for us. Because sometimes the storm's just so loud, the circumstances are just too big. 
The pain's just too sharp. And we can't see how Jesus is walking on water to come to us because we get, right, it's easy to get real storm-focused, to get pain-centered. One of the things about deep grief and loss is sometimes your life can, like, turn in on itself. You just get so consumed with your own pain and your own circumstances and your own, I just want out of this. And that you can just kind of get, you know, and then you, you can't see how Jesus is coming for you. Has anybody else been there? Where you're like, hey, he's walking on water to get to me, but I'm so concerned with rowing and wind and waves that I can't see how Jesus is coming for me. He's coming to my boat. And look what he comes now. What does he come to say? Verse 20, he says to them, so he walks up, it is I, don't be afraid. Translation for that, it is I, is the translation I am, capital I, capital A, capital M. It's the revered name of God all through the scriptures. It's when Moses, right, was commissioned to go to Pharaoh and going to announce to let his people go. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to say to Pharaoh when I go there? Like, what's going to get him to release all these captives? And he said, tell him, I am has sent me to you, capital I, capital A, capital M, the God of heaven and earth, the sovereign Lord of all that is, the creator being. The I am, I will be, I forever am. Like I am present, I am active, I am working, I am here. Tell them I am has sent me to you. So do you see what Jesus is walking out, right? He's allowed the disciples to go through the middle of this storm. It's dark, it's difficult, wind is raging, storm is growing, waves are crashing. Jesus coming towards them on the water and he walks up to them, I am. Good translation for don't be afraid, relax. It's legit translation, relax. I am, I am here, I am present, I'm the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, and we will get through this together. Relax. How many of you need to see or hear that in the middle of your uncertainty today? And a big part of it is to recognize, say, Lord, you know what? I've just been so consumed with the circumstances that I've lost sight. How are you coming to me? You're walking on water to get to me. And I want my eyes to be lifted up. And I want to look you square in the eye and to hear you say, I am. Do not be afraid. Relax. We will get through this together. I think Jerry... Sitzer, another entry, I think captures this well. Listen to what Jerry says. My confidence in God is somehow quieter but stronger. I feel little pressure to impress God or prove myself to him. Yet I want to serve him with all my heart and strength. My life is full of bounty even as I continue to feel the pain of loss. Grace is transforming me, and it's wonderful. Hear this now. I slowly learned where God belongs, and I've allowed him to assume that place at the center of life rather than at the periphery. You see, gang, sometimes Jesus does calm the storm, and we're grateful when the winds die down and the waters smooth out, and the circumstances shift, and we give thanks to him for those moments. But much more often, his choice is to calm us in the middle of the storm. And right here, he doesn't. He, he, he could have just stood up and 
created the circumstances where their rowing would get easier and they'd get over to Capernaum. Instead, he says, uh, I am. Don't be afraid. We'll get through this together. Because look what happens next, verse 21. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And underline immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Huh. Some of you want that outboard motor, huh? So there's really two miracles here. There's a miracle within the miracle, right? The miracle of Jesus walking on water to get to him. And then how about the miracle when he got into the boat and then the boat just got to Capernaum? He picture the disciples out. It's like, man, I'm really glad we invited him to the boat now. Shaking their arms out, setting those oars down and right into the shore. Storm's still raging, but they got to where they needed to be. So this is the third element of Jesus' plan, right? So the first element of Jesus' plan for the stressed and anxious and weary is to recognize he's really not as interested in exempting us from those times, but he'll lead us in the storms and provide companionship when you're there. The second element is to remember that he's walking on water to get to us in the middle of those difficult times. And the third element is this. When we take Jesus into our boat, we get to where we need to go. Do you see how taking Jesus into your boat is an act of trust? Do you see this? The core of this is trust. To take him into your boat. To trust Jesus. The antidote to worry, anxiety, and stress is really one word, trust. Trust is the antidote to worry. Trust is the antidote to anxiety. Trust is what pushes back those claws of strain and stress. It's trust. We can summarize everything we do around here, around this phrase, like all we do in our worship services, children's ministry, student ministry, life group, discipleship classes, missions trips. At the end of the day, it's we want you to trust Jesus. We're a one-note Johnny with this. Slow down your life, lean into him, look him in the eye, and trust Jesus. That's what we're doing. No matter how dark the situation no matter how deep the valley, no matter how strong the storm, no matter how overwhelming what you're going through, that you look up and say, I'm going to trust Jesus. Invite him into your boat. And you're going to get to where you need to get to. I mean, how many times in our life do we hit those places, right, where we say, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what school to go to. I don't know what job to take. I don't know if that relationship is one I should pursue. I don't know whether I should take that move or make that decision, right? Jesus, what do you want me to do? How often we pray for guidance. And I want you to think of John 14, 6 here that's often quoted. What does Jesus say? He says, I am the way. So your answer to where do I go and what do I do? Here's Jesus standing before you. I am the way. Invite me into your boat. You're going to get where you need to go. Are you tracking with me? Say, Lord, what about that relationship? Where do I go with that? I am the way. Invite me into your boat. We'll navigate that together. Lord, what about that job decision? Get me into your boat. We'll work through that together. What about that financial investment? What do I do there? Get me in your boat. We're going to sort that out together. I am the way. Relax. Do not be afraid. If you put Jesus in your boat, you're going to get to where you need to be. Do you know 98 times in this gospel, this is what John says. Believe Jesus. Trust Jesus. 98 times. You think he's trying to get his point across? 
So there's probably a good chance that a lot of the application for us as we continue through John's gospel, do you know what we're going to come back to over and over again over these months together? Is we're going to come back to this reality. Trust Jesus. Trust him. In the middle of the storm, in the middle of the wind, look how he's coming to you. Look how he says, I am. Relax. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Take me into your boat, and we will get through this together. So the Panama Canal, when it was constructed, was considered one of the seven wonders of the modern world. If you were to take a boat trip from New York to San Francisco and you took the 48-mile water canal through Panama, called the Panama Canal, your trip would be 5,900 miles long, the blue line. If you decided you didn't want to take that shortcut, 14,000 miles for the red line, long road. But that shortcut comes with a hefty price. Do you know what the average toll is for the Panama Canal? $150,000. Paid in cash, 48 hours before you pass. I'm sure that system's working super great. Picture that. Paid in cash. Highest toll ever charged to ship through the Panama Canal, $829,000. Paid in cash, 48 hours before that boat passes. Last year, that toll booth in Panama, some of you were complaining about Chicago's toll roads. Yours, huh? Feeling pretty good about that now, aren't you? Last year, Panama Canal toll booth, $1.9 billion, B, billion dollars in cash at that toll booth. And every single ship who comes up to the canal, don't only have to pay their fee in advance. When it comes to the day for their passage, here's the routine. It doesn't matter where you're a Disney cruise line, where you're an aircraft carrier from the United States. It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter what size of the ship it is. If you're going through the Panama Canal, here's what happens every time. You pull your boat up to the entrance of the canal and you stop. Can you picture this scene now? And a Panamanian captain in one of them little dinghy boats, I picture him with like a 20 horsepower outboard motor. Can you see him like up to an aircraft carrier? Like, this little Panamanian captain, he comes out to your boat with his flag and he aboards your ship. And he takes whatever flag you were flying at the center of your ship and he lowers it. And he raises the Panamanian flag. And then he walks to the captain's quarters and he steps into the captain's seat. He says, hey, uh, captain, step aside. And then the Panamanian captain takes the wheel. It's approximately an eight-hour journey through the Panama Canal for a ship. They say it's so difficult to navigate that the Panamanian captains trained for eight and a half years to pilot the ship for the eight-hour journey. They say if you just make one wrong turn here or there, consequences are steep. And so that Panamanian captain boards the ship lowers their flag, raises the Panamanian flag, steps into the captain's seat, and motors them through. Church, do you know? To take Jesus into your boat, here's the core of this. It's going to involve lowering our flag. 
and you raise Christ's flag. And you take your hands off the captain's wheel and you step out of the captain's chair and you relinquish that control position. When you invite him into your boat, you are in a surrendered posture that way. Can you picture like that, the Panamanian captain when he's on like a a U.S. Air Force carrier and the billions of dollars that that is and there he is. And the rest of the group, trusting. He's going to get us from point A to B. See, at the end of the day, Jesus' plan for the stressed and anxious can really be embodied with one word. Trust. Trust. Trust that he's with you. Trust that he's walking on water to get to you. Trust that if you'll invite him into that boat and put him in the center of that, trust that you're going to get from one side over to Capernaum. You're going to get where you need to be. Lower your flag. Raise his flag. Trust him. So worship team, why don't you come on up? Here's how we're going to wrap this up. Everybody on their chairs should have a trust envelope and an index card. Would you pull this out? It should be somewhere around you. If not, find a chair near you, steal the one that's empty beside you, and a pen. You're going to need something to write with, and I'd like you to pull out this blank index card. Okay, here's what we're going to do. This is called an exercise in trust. Sometimes, you know, we've got to do some things with our body that reinforces what does it mean. So tangibly, what does it mean to trust God with this? Well, we're going to do an exercise together around this, okay? So on this index card... I'd like you to spend the next minute or two. The team's just going to kind of play lightly, give us some time to reflect together. And I want you to write down one thing. Now listen, not five things, not 10 things, not 20 things. One thing that you sense in your heart of hearts right now, Jesus is saying to you, trust me with this. Trust me. Okay? Be as detailed as you want to be. This is your moment, right? Right on this. How is God? Hey, trust me with this. And then put it in your envelope. Seal your envelope. Then turn your envelope over and look at the front of it and reflect on what you wrote and picture him coming to you and saying, hey, I am. Not be afraid. So one thing, write it down. Take a moment here. Where do you sense the Spirit of God? Say, hey, trust me with this. Stick it in your envelope. Seal the envelope. it over and just take a moment reflect on what you wrote look at Jesus' word to you and right now work the muscle of trust trust
Now as the team leads us through a song, I think it's going to kind of reinforce what we're doing here together. I'd like you to get up out of your seat in just a moment, and you're going to come here to this cross. And there's push pins there. I want you to get a push pin, and I want you to pin your envelope to this cross. Top to bottom, front to back, side to side. Hey, those of you a little bit taller, you take the taller parts of the cross. You got me? Cover this thing. If the thing gets so full you don't have any room, just pin right over the top of another envelope. The point is every single one of our acts of trust is going to be left there. You with me? So here's a tip. What does it mean to trust God with this? Here's what it means. I'm going to write this down on a card. I'm going to stick it in an envelope. I'm going to seal the envelope. I'm going to turn it over. I'm going to look at it. Picture Jesus saying, I am. Do not be afraid. I'm going to get up out of my seat. I'm going to walk to the cross. I'm going to pin it to that cross. And I'm going to leave it there. You with me? Trust him. This is his plan. Like, but Jesus, how are you going to meet me in my storm? How are you going to meet me in my strain? How are you going to meet me in my stress? How are you going to meet me in my weariness? Trust me. I am. We will get through this together. So let's stand together. When you're ready, you come, start the process. Surround it. You can go to the back side, front side. Just surround it as the team leads us through. And if you want to, you spend some time praying here at the sides. You know, the prayer benches are here. Maybe there's something significant you're going through and you want to kneel and pray at any of the prayer benches while you're getting up and moving around, take your time and do that. Pray together, pray alone. We'll continue to worship together.